This is the home of Australian rugby, and this is the official Fox Rugby Podcast. G'day everybody and welcome to the Fox Rugby Podcast. I'm Christy Doran and joining me is Sam Worthington. How are you, Sam? G'day, Christy. You've had a promotion. You're sitting in uh, Nick's seat today. Certainly am. It's actually feeling pretty good. I feel a bit taller. No Nick. He's, uh, I think, on a week off, which is well-deserved after a long year. It's not a Peter Dutton, Scott Morrison type uh, stabbing in the back coup, is it? That's not what's happened here? You know I like my politics, but no, no, it's okay. not. Um, it's merely, I think he, he was so shell-shocked after the Wallabies' mm. outstanding come-from-behind victory that he... Uh, he, he had a couple of heart attacks throughout that. I can confirm it. Get well soon, He's Nick. coming down. Sorry to hear that. Uh, Sam, Michael Checker about to join us in a moment. Uh, Wallaby's coach, looking forward to speaking to him. But what was your take of what was an absolutely crazy weekend with the All Blacks and Springboks and then just in, oh, 10 hours or so later or six hours later, the, the Wallabies and the Pumas? Yeah, I don't think I've uh, experienced a, I guess a te- test match day, you'd call it, um, quite like it. Just two incredible games, incredible comebacks. Um, yeah, probably different uh, levels of quality, it must be said. Um, one slightly more more frantic and loosey-goosey and one one pretty intense in a, another game of two halves. But yeah, I just haven't can't recall another day quite like it, like two games as, as crazy as that. Indeed. Well, let's uh, speak to the man who was in the thick of things, Michael Checker. You're listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. And it's a very warm welcome to Wallabies coach Michael Checker. Michael, you've been back for a few days since Argentina. What have you been doing in these past couple of days? Well, I had a, uh, a day at home just trying to reacclimatise to the four kids and all the noise. And then... Um, What's harder, coaching or the four kids? Oh, the kids, without a doubt. <laughs> no, good as gold, mate, good as gold. But, um, and then uh, today we were back in, back into it, sort of organising guys who are going to go play in RC this week and um, starting to get a look at what we're thinking about from the squad's perspective. Yeah, yeah what is the plan, a week off for the guys and then reassemble? Uh, not everyone. There's, I think there's about 12, 10 or 12 playing in RC. This week, I think that some regular footy for some of the guys that haven't been playing as much and then, you know, we're going on a, a five-week, if I'm not wrong, uh, tour um, with one week where there's no game as well. So we want to make sure that players have got footy under their belt, you know. So there's, like I said, there's, based on game time, there's about 12 of them playing in different competitions. And then we'll even take a look and see when, when we do put the squad together what the NRC semifinals look like. We may even leave a couple behind for a day because we leave this Saturday. We might even leave one or two behind to play in those fixtures before they come away and come meet us over there. Let's go back to, to Saturday night if we, if we can. Yep. Uh, Argentina, it's probably ten past eight or so local time in Salta and uh, the Wallabies are 31-7 down. What's your initial feeling walking down to the change rooms? <laughs> um, well, you don't sort of... I don't think you feel too much at that point. You're more thinking about uh, what you're gonna, what you're gonna do, or how you're gonna, how you're gonna approach it. Because there are rare moments in games where the situation's like that, either winning or behind. Usually the the gap is not usually that big in any game at, at a halftime break. So um, it, you got to pick your strategy at halftime 
carefully. You take a bit of counsel from the other coaches and work out what's going on with their areas and then you decide whether you, what route you're going to go down for the half-time chat and, and try and turn it around. Walking out of the change room, I'm sure you're not going to tell us what you said anyway, but walking out of it, did you think that, hey, this team will respond the way you want? Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, they're good men. They're, you know, they've been copping plenty over the last period. Um, and that's probably why they got in that position in the first place, you know. A few things went against them early on. Uh, and, you know, all the bad thoughts start running through your head. Um, we've had to do that sort of two weeks in a row against South Africa. We started off slowly as well. We were able to get back into the game, not enough to get ahead. And then that sort of happened again this week. And I think they, you know, that sort of clouded their vision a little bit. So they're, they're good men. They, they want to do well for their country. And I suppose um, it's one thing, you know, everyone talk about the, the halftime talk. It's one thing talking. It's another thing doing. And they, they did it. They went out there and did it. That halftime chat uh, has really captured the public's imagination. Do you, have you seen that? Do you have a bit of a chuckle? I mean, it's not exactly rare in, in sport that, that you do players do get a bit of a, a rev up, but how, how often would you pull out a, a passionate address like that? Oh, I think it's got to be real. It's got to be authentic and personal. Um, and I felt that that was a time where we, it needed to be very personal. You know, I think um, we're, we're in trouble and to turn, you know, like in life, you know what I mean? In turn, turning trouble moments around, you've got to take responsibility and understand very clearly what you need to do to turn that situation around, whether it be in your life or on the footy field. And, um, and that's what I asked them to do. And, and the captain asked them to do the same, along with some of the other leaders in the team, and they were able to do that. A couple of key moments in, the, in, in that second half, Isaac Rogler coming out of the ruck and then moving sideways mm. after Sikopi Kepi just pulls him out there does the charge down, Michael Hooper gets the ball, passes back, scores. Those couple of tries happened very, very quickly and, and all of a sudden you're in the lead. As a coach, it's, it's pretty easy, I can imagine, for, for a playing group just to switch off slightly. Were you impressed in the last 15 minutes of the, the composure of the side once they'd gotten to that position to make sure that they win? Uh, mate, I think impressed is not really the word. I, I was probably still, as a coach, I'm still caught in the first half. You know, that, uh, I was pumped in the second half, like I was living it in the in the in the coach's box, yeah, um, and you know, keeping the comms up with Nathan down on the field. But you're still living in the first half because you're going, well, um, how can that happen? You know, but it can. I've been in games where it's happened before as a coach and as a player. It can happen, and you've got to deal with it. And um, and that's uh, that's what the, the lads did, and they were able to. They made a few good decisions, you know, just some little things like I think I don't know if it was Beal or Foley, one of them. Um, they're inside the twenty-two. They were going to kick it out. They saw the space in the middle, and they decided to run down the middle and, then, and kick down the middle. The ball rolled right down the end of the in goal. It was mm. yeah. So just little things like that. In a, I mean, that's where you get into the. I suppose you get into a good flow. Um, you know what you've got to do, even in the, the moment where th- that's there. The differences, I think, when you when you've got no fear of of failure or letting people down, um, uh, which maybe it looked like in the first half. Kepu, he understands the strategy. He knows he's got to get Rod has got to be the guy, second guy out, not him. 
So he pulls Rodder out. That clarity at that time, those little details are very important in the heat of the battle. So you've got to be running the energy going crazy and, and you know, plenty of energy, but also have the clarity of thought to be able to get the little bits right. It's the biggest comeback in Australian test history. Um, Michael Hooper looked pretty just bewildered trying to make sense of it all afterwards. It was, it was such a crazy game. A, have you been, been involved in a game quite like that? And, um, and secondly, going back through the tape, well, what stands out about the, about the game? Um, I've been involved in a few games where we've gone behind heavily. And uh, not just with Australia. Well, I don't think with Australia ever, but <clears throat> I'm pretty sure with New South Wales. We're definitely with Leinster um, <clears throat> and started from same my time there, and uh, and we've been able to, to claw it back. I don't think one as big as big a deficit as that. Um, what stood out for me was the difference in the defence. I know that the, the first half defence was it was inconsistent. We had some good patches and then we had some terrible ones where we probably weren't, um, uh, we did, our line speed wasn't consistent and together. But in the second half, every time Argentina got it, we were able to turn the ball back over through one line of defence, doing the same thing and being very, very committed to what they were doing. And that translates into ball and possession. And when you have that possession, you can score. We'll move into bigger picture just in a moment, but I was interested to hear, you said, why, why, why could this happen? Why, why did this happen throughout the game? Uh, why do you think it happened? That, that How do you mean? There was, a, I think, you said in the the previous response that you weren't like. Why could the Wallabies get into this position? Is yeah. it is it sometimes when you when when teams go out and and they leave, you're not quite sure, or is it mentally just not being hundred percent on it? Man, like I said, I think uh, I'm I'm uh, not really up on whether it be social media or media, so I don't really read a lot of it. Uh, but players do, you know, they read all that stuff, gets in their head and it hasn't been going great, so they don't think they're great. And then as soon as something bad happens in the game, negative, and, which it did early on, uh, you start to get a bit narrow in your view, you know, and you start to fear failing as opposed to going out there to do what you need to do to, to perform and then, as a consequence, win. Um, so I think even the week before that, uh, we were able to get ourselves back in exactly the same situation. And, um, yeah, that, that's not what you want to have happen. It's not, it's not performing well mentally, but then you've got the total opposite of that performing well mentally in the second half because they would have been under a lot of pressure to perform and I think they did that very well. Is that self-belief, confidence issues? Has that been a problem with the last couple of seasons, obviously coming out of Super Rugby, some, some tough results? Is that a constant work on that, that yeah, drumming think, home, that belief in your players? Yeah, I think, it's, uh, I think it has been. Since I've been back in Australia, it's full stop. Since I've been back at the TARS early on and then back here and then having the opportunity and the honour to coach Australia, I think that's been a, an issue and about, um, you know, putting yourself in a situation where you can have that that belief and that comes from committing fully uh, to all parts of the game, making sure that um, physically you're ready, uh, you've done the work and, you know, you're ready to... I know this sounds crazy, but you're ready to fail. So you're you're prepared so well that if failure happens, there's nothing you can do about it. So you're not not worried about it, you're not scared of it, which, you know, in the reverse... um, 
I suppose sentence means, you know, you're, you're totally prepared to win. Mm. And yourself and, and Will Guinea and the build-up to the game, you know, basically stated we're going to win this, you know, no no bones about it. So was that even a, the, the stuff you were talking about? Was that part of that to, to say that, to to get people thinking positively perhaps? Well, no, it can't be fake. But I, don't, I don't actually remember saying we're going to... If a reporter asks you a question, are you going to win? What are you going to say? Yeah. Gonna, no, we're going to lose. You know, I think... Uh, I, I heard actually um, Kernsey talk about that, and he, and he said, uh, "Didn't like it." Yeah, or he said, "Stay humble." I said, "Well, we've got nothing to be humble about. Like, you, if you don't have a track, we don't don't have. If you've got won the World Cup, you can be humble. Or if you've won the Bledisloe, you can be humble. Or if you you know we won the Rugby Championship, you can be humble. Well, we don't have won any of those things. We, we, we've got nothing to be humble about. We've got to be grounded and understand what." Um, what we need to do to start to get some of those things so we can be humble. And uh, I don't think there's any... I think that's been misconstrued definitely as players wanting to, to put on positive front um, and, and show positivity to the fans and to, the, to, the, um, to their own team as opposed to some form of arrogance because we're nowhere near anything like that. I think that's totally been misunderstood. We know the wins and the losses this year and we know it's been a tough year. What have you? Uh, what, what positives have you drawn from it and, and where do you think uh, the side needs to really work on for the rest of the year and then going forward, particularly with the World Cup just a year away? Mate, we've, we need to be consistent at our level, right? So we need to, we need to know what our level is, our best level. Right, and we need to be consistently there with only small variations. The variations have been too big, so I've got to put more into training of a, a real consistency in everything we do, um, and demanding a consistently uh, good level, like the top level. Have the players um, always had that that expectation, the accountability of each training session? We've got to be at that level. Of course, mate, they have. But uh, like I said, it hasn't been a habit for us. Um, you know, whether it be a Super rugby level for the last few years, or or, or we've been inconsistent at international level as well. So uh, we've got to build that habit, and you know habits aren't always the easiest things to to do. We've got a young team. I think in the in the forward squad, the squad of forward pack. I think there's only three players over 26. So there's there's a lot of youth in there. A lot of a lot of guys that haven't got a heap of experience. So we're, we're talking about a lot of players, you know, in our tight forwards who have got, you know, they're just coming out of single caps. So until you know, it's all good in theory. Everyone says, yeah, you got to be consistent, but you can't be consistent until you learn how to do it at the at that level, you know. And they haven't they haven't had those habits, and I'm I'm working with them to to just build those habits and the mentality that goes with those habits. Mm. There's been a bit of chat about your support staff, your assistant coaches. Um, the crew you've had there has mostly been in place for a while with Nathan Gray, um, Steve Larkham, obviously Simon um, Rawalui's new on board. Um, are those definitely the, the crew you think will go through to the World Cup? And are you able just to talk about uh, their attributes and, and, and why you believe they're, they're the right men to, to have by your side? Yeah, first of all, I'm not really sure where a lot of that chat's coming from. Um, so uh, I think that you've got to understand what we need to change internally first before we start, you know, talking about changes and things like that. So uh, what we've been doing before um, and building on that uh, isn't getting the same or isn't getting the outcome we want um, consistently. So let's make some changes internally 
So this is what we need to do here. This is how we need to change uh, the way we're working or the role or the way we present or whatever it might be, okay? And give uh, those guys and myself the opportunity to make those changes and see if we get a different outcome. So uh, we've got to keep doing that and keep trying what we think will work um, to get the outcome we want and then assess where we're at um, after we have the opportunity to make the changes we need to. Do you know when that... Is that at the end of the spring tour that you that you come to a conclusion there or is it, or is it later or earlier? It might be different in each case, you know what I mean, of the things that we need to do, whether they be around attack, defence, um, set pieces or whatever, you know. But what I will say is these guys are working hard. They're real Aussies, you know, Australian um, fans as well as coaches. They're giving their all to get the best possible outcome there. Uh, very loyal to the people in the team, and um, uh, they as much as everyone wants to shoot at at them and at us in general. Well, not everyone, but some people, because we're getting a lot of messages of support as well, which no one ever seems to to want to publicly put out there. But um, uh, for everyone that's shooting at them, they they uh, they're good guys who are doing their absolute best to represent Australia in the correct way. Last question before we let you go. This year, have you enjoyed? I'm sure you haven't enjoyed the the losses, but has this been the most challenging, or or is this this kind of stuff that you like? Yeah, yeah. I, look, I yeah, you always want to be winning, but I feel like I'm I I sort of like this situation. I like to be. Uh, I, I think that I can do well in these situations when it's tough, because as I've said many times. Um, that the tough situations come and then they go, but the tough people don't. And I'd like to think that that's who I am, who we are, and, uh, and that we'll prevail over it. Well, the Wallabies taking on the All Blacks in Yokohama on October 27th. Looking forward to seeing you over there. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. You're listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. Well, great to have Michael Checker on the podcast uh, for the second time this year. Picking up from what he said, uh, found it very interesting, uh, kind of admitting that the Wallabies just don't have any self-belief at the moment. Uh, what, do you, what did you make of that, Sam? Yeah, pretty striking admission, wasn't it? Um, yeah, the first point was I was glad he didn't go full uh, dressing room on us then and, and, <laughs> and mistake me for Bernard Foley and pin me up against the wall, so I was relieved to get out of that one. But, yeah, a, a pretty, a very honest admission, just basically saying they don't really have genuine um, self-belief that they that they can perhaps perform at high levels all the time. So th- there's clearly a lot of work to be done on that side of things um, going forward. It, you know, it's all very well, catch, pass, etc. but uh, it all, all starts upstairs, doesn't actually having the belief under fatigue, um, you know, under adversity um, to actually get those consistent performances. What, what did you think, Matt? Yeah, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not surprised because you look at the Super Rugby results over for the last three, four years since since Michael Checker's Waratahs won in 2014 and, and they've been pretty appalling, really. Yep. There's, there's no doubt about it. So, uh, and you, you look at the... I think there's the Wallabies have struggled to win the big moments for some time at the at, at test level and and June when the Wallabies bombed uh, a, a test against Ireland and Sydney I think that was a real turning point I, I don't think I'd seen a, a Wallaby side so dispirited um, at the conclusion where 
all the players were just looked like they were completely devastated and, and walking into the press conference and Michael Checker was sitting alongside Michael Hooper 45 minutes after full time and he he looks as glum as I've ever seen and uh, it had looked like he'd been raining for weeks on end and hadn't seen any sunlight. All the colour of his face had just gone, gone out of him. Um, but... You look at people like Kirtley Bill dropping the ball once again on the stroke of half time, and, and they're factors, and, and that's indication that, yeah, maybe they, they, they don't have the confidence. Yeah. Uh, are we being slightly too pessimistic? It seems like everyone in Australia is talking about this game as if they lost it, and they've, they've recorded the biggest comeback in Wallabies history. Like, you wonder if it was another team that had done this. Would, would well, they, the All Blacks they... did it just, just hours yeah, beforehand. Yeah, they, they were awful in the first half as well, really. They, they you know, came good in the second. But uh, I guess within the context of the, the whole season, um, uh, supporters, uh, you know, Rayleigh Castle said to themselves today, just very, very frustrated that they can't get any sort of consistent consistency and, and you know people it's all very well to put up with that maybe for half a season or whatever but when it keeps going on and on and on you can understand why there is a clamor for change isn't there with within the coaching structure somewhere indeed and it was interesting to hear that Mark Jekyll said that oh let's let's hold tight we've got to work out what's happening internally is that a bit of a is it a cop-out or is it just delaying time before it's too late what do you think yeah well I actually found that interesting I mean I sort of teed it up for him to you know to say great things about his support staff and that's what I thought he was going to do but he actually said you know we're going to go away and take a good long hard look at ourselves basically so yeah that's made me think you know hang on maybe there might actually be some change going forward he's a very loyal guy would would surprise um but yeah maybe maybe those thoughts are starting to go through his head so Raylane Castle is has asked for a meeting with Michael Checker I didn't think I don't think he was necessarily aware that that was going to occur uh, yeah, yeah, well, it's um, it's not so much a meeting, is it? It seems like a pretty regular address to the board. It was sort of there was a bit of confusion around exactly how that was presented, but yeah, it seems like a they're they're going to get together before the Johnny is met. All, all the board members are going to be in town, and he's going to be asked to make a presentation about where they're at and you know what the plan is roughly a year out from the the World Cup. So yeah, I'm not sure if that's spin or not, but they're making it sound like it's just a regular run of the mill process but clearly the context of the season there's a little bit more uh, weight behind it this time isn't there mm, yeah it certainly is do you think do you think there will be change or, or do you think there should be change I think something does have to change, yeah, and uh, it's tough to pick out individuals, but you, you you do have to look at both the attack and the defence coach coaches, and they they haven't had they're great players, both of them, and clearly know a hell of a lot about rugby, no, no question there, but they they don't have the most inspiring records as as coaches do they? When you just look at the cold hard facts, and, and you know neither area of the game, attack or defence, that they. they they couldn't really say that there's been huge improvements. So, uh, look, I don't know who else is out there, but uh, maybe a fresh face in one of those two departments wouldn't be the worst idea. Well, one thing that I thought was interesting, I was reading an article just the other day, and, and Ronan O'Gara, who's the, the outstanding former Irish international who's just recently been inducted into the, the Hall of Fame, in his first season comes out with the Crusaders uh, as an assistant coach. He's going to be there in 2019 again. I don't think... The, the assistants looking at them, you're looking at Stephen Larkham and Nathan Gray, they've spent a long time in Australian rugby and, and sometimes I think there is a lot to be said about coaches that do spread their wings and go elsewhere. You look at the success that Stuart Lancaster's also having at the moment uh, in, in Ireland for, for, with Leinster, having been in England, going to a completely different program and system in Ireland. So 
I think that uh, it will be beyond 2019 if if, if the, the current coaching structure remains, whether or not Larkham and Gray, these sorts of figures continue to stay in Australian rugby or, or they go elsewhere. Yeah, I agree. You listen to so many examples of good coaches around the world that have done their time elsewhere in the Northern Hemisphere. Michael Checker was one. Himself, yeah. And, and Simon Rowell, who obviously been over there. But they, you know, to a man, you know, credit the experience for, you know, completely broadening their, you know, not just rugby outlook, but their, their world outlook. Um, same with, with players as well. So, yeah, for someone like a, a Larkham in particular, who's, you know, he hasn't really been out of Canberra, has whole professional career so um, yeah I think that would be a great idea they're still young coaches aren't they Larkham Larkham and Gray and Mm. these guys so um, yeah 100% and I think equally uh, Checker spoke about these guys all being very proud Australians and and that's clearly a big part of his ethos but um, personally I don't think it'd be the worst idea to look elsewhere for a Ronan O'Gara type to to come in and add a fresh, fresh view on things because let's face it what what they're doing hasn't been working on the whole. Certainly not. So they, they get out of jail there. They win 45 points to, to 34. The Wallabies to, to finish third in the rugby championship. If we're going to give them a grade, uh, what would you give them? Uh, for the rugby championship, I guess, a C. Hard to go any higher than that. Um, yeah, two wins out of six. And, and basically... Same old story. The, the, it's a tough start going into the Bledisloe Cup, but bang, bang, thrashed and, and heads, heads drop, and it's basically all over. So yeah, what, what's uh, what's your grade, mate? Oh, I don't think you can. I think C is probably generous. generous I, I yeah. think C, C minus. I, I would certainly go. But uh, you, you're right. The Wallabies do have the toughest of tasks coming up against the All Blacks. Two tests in a row. Interestingly, when Michael Checker came back from the, the, the defeat in Auckland in Bledisloe 2, he said that what gives him confidence that the Wallabies can turn it around. And he said that the Wallabies typically throughout the rugby championship improve. Did we see the, the Wallabies improve? No, not really. <laughs> no, like the, I think the, the win that they had over the Springboks in Brisbane, I didn't think that was a good performance either. Um, Show character. Yeah, so I, I look back at probably the Ireland series. I think they played better against Ireland, the world's number two team, so a, a pretty good measure. I thought they played better rugby on the whole against them than, than they did throughout the rugby championship. So, um, yeah, that, that's the concerning thing, that there hasn't really been an upwards, upward trajectory. Indeed. So the next test, as we said earlier, the 27th of October. And you're going to be over there, Christy? You've got a, a start in Japan? I have, looking you're, forward you're to it. You're turning Japanese? Yeah, you, you've been there. What did you, you make of, of Japan and how do you think the Wallabies will go over there? Yeah, loved it. Was uh, was awesome. Had a small taste of the rugby culture there. Went along to the Sunwolves um, game against the Blues, and, and went to the. Um, I f- somehow found myself in a pub of all places where the all the Sunwolves fans were, and then Carlos Spencer was there along with uh, yeah some pretty fanatical Sunwolves fans. So it was it was good fun. But yeah. Uh, it's going to be another very tough assignment, isn't it? The news has sort of uh, trickled out that the All Blacks are going to field their top team because they're going to stay. They, they play the Wallabies and then they stay in Japan to play Japan a week later with the B team. Um, so it looks pretty clear they're going to roll out all their big guns. So, um, yeah, no no respite really for the Wallabies, is there? They have, have a week or two um, to, to, I guess, get their head, head around where they're at, um, have a knees up at the John Hills medal, and then they're off to Japan for third Bledisloe. Yeah, yeah, and 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 San Kane, and of course, will be will be out of out of that side. Uh, you must have been well, probably a good segue to, to talk about the All Blacks now. You must have been as a as a Kiwi yourself. Uh, 
sitting back and thinking, geez, the All Blacks uh, are going to be beaten for the second time in a row. Lightning is going to strike twice and, and South Africa are going to get the business done. Yeah, I hadn't completely given up hope, but it was wavering pretty strongly. I was uh, thinking, you know, clearly South Africa are strong favourites here, but yeah, they have pulled out similar results in the past, and and yeah, the Springboks made a. That's, they had some luck. You need that, like Richie Moanga's kick, that uh, the penalty kick that bounced and then got the perfect sort of roll into touch to set up that that winning move, but. Yeah, they've just got that genuine belief that they they can win in those moments, and it, yeah, and in contrast to what what Michael was talking about just before. So, yeah, it just I guess shows the the gap in, in headspace uh, a year out for the World Cup that they've got to try and bridge. What what did the Springboks do in those two tests against New Zealand that the Wallabies perhaps didn't? Ah, uh, just tackled their their hearts out for starters with, with you know incredible uh, I, I guess pride and, and belief um, and the guy next to them you know that seemed like the actual defensive structures were very very good they were getting up in, in the All Blacks faces obviously Malcolm Marks um, guys like Khaleesi Peter Steph Dutois they, they help slow down that ball don't they so they yeah frust- frustrated the All Blacks into kicks at, at times and then the Springboks have always been great opportunists um, you know particularly that, that previous test with intercepts and, and feeding off scraps they're very good at that so yeah with uh, Faf de Klerk and Andre Pollard um, running the show, that they're a serious force all of a sudden, aren't they? Yeah, and, and they've got a great balance between having, you speak about Faf and the excellence of Andre Pollard over the last month, but they've got genuine speed out wide too with Giante and, and Willie Rue, who's a, who's a good second playmaker who can jump into first receiver or second receiver, but their defence has been incredible, and it's something that Check spoke about too was that that was probably the most pleasing thing for him coming out of Argentina was that defence in the second half. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, the Wallabies are just so frustrating because they fix that one part of their game, don't they? And then the other one goes. So it's just they've really struggled to put those complete performances together. But yeah, in, in contrast, the Springboks. Um, I mean, if you, in terms of World Cup favouritism, I, I guess it's New Zealand at the top, and then Ireland probably deserved to be number two, but South Africa coming in hot, probably in third now, I'd say. What, what, what do you reckon about the, the pecking order of world rugby at the moment? Oh, look, I don't think anyone really knows beyond, beyond the All Blacks because look, Ireland has scraped home in a couple of tests against the Wallabies, uh, it, it must be said, but, but South Africa, that, well, they beat England at home, but um, they've got a... Well, it's going to be really interesting to see how those Southern Hemisphere sides go over the next month because it's a it's a massive spring tour for, for everyone and I think we're all looking forward to seeing England and New Zealand, uh, New Zealand and Ireland and clearly how the Wallabies go in these, in these next couple of tests is going to be crucial. Yeah, exactly right. And just to spell out what's to come for people that uh, haven't looked at the, the calendar, um, yeah, so the All Blacks in Yokohama um, for, for the Wallabies on the 27th, and then they play Wales, then Italy, then England, isn't it? The, the big one to, to wrap up. So uh, very exciting times, Christy. Indeed. And looking forward to, uh, to, to being over in Japan and hopefully getting on the pod and speaking to you over, over the coupling, coming weeks. But uh, until then, we'll have Nick McArdle back in the hot seat next week and looking forward to having your company once again. Thanks for listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. Thank you.